Several years ago, I had an opportunity of ministering in India for a couple of weeks, and I spent uh, a few days with a family that was there, a young pastor and his wife, and their American names were Sam and Susan. I couldn't pronounce their Indian names. And the first night I was with them, after the service was over, sitting down, I, I just asked them a question so I could get to know them a little better, and I said, why don't you tell me your love story? Tell me how you met. Tell me what it was about him that you found attractive and what it was about her that you found attractive. And they both burst into laughter. And they said, you are so American. And I thought, yeah. They said, it's so different here. They said, for us, we don't worry about dating and we don't worry about falling in love because we live in a society where our marriages are arranged. They said, so from the time that we were little children, our moms and dads would take the names and, uh, of kids that were about our age and would watch them in the various communities. And as we got older, some of those names would come off the list. And both of these individuals had been educated in the United States. One of them was educated in a university in Oklahoma, another one in the state of Washington. And after they had finished their advanced degrees, the day after their graduations, their families made them fly back to India because they did not want them to become Americanized. And when they got home, Sam's dad took him aside and said, Sam, we've been at work for this for several years. We believe that we have found a match for you. And uh, we are going to be going this coming Saturday to the nearby village where you're going to meet her family and her and uh, give you some time to spend perhaps a day together to see if you think you're a good match. And so they went that Saturday. The families got together, went inside and said, you guys have some hours now to, uh, to talk and to get to know one another and they said we sat down in two chairs on a table on the porch and we talked and two hours later the parents came out and said that's enough Sam's dad took him aside and said Sam what do you think and he says well based on the fact that you've been looking all my life I have to assume that you think that she's a good fit there's nothing about her that I don't find that I couldn't get along with Susan's parents asked the same thing what do you think she says well you know he's he seems like a wonderful Christian man. I know where he wants to go in life, and if you think this is a good fit, then I trust you. And the next time they saw each other was on their wedding day. I asked what that was like, and Susan told me, she goes, well, after the wedding was over and we went on our honeymoon, the first thing he said to me is he took me in his arms and he whispered in my ear, and he says, I just want you to know that from this day forward, you are the woman that I choose to love. Now, when I talked to them, they'd been married several years, had three kids, and were doing great. And I began to think about that, and I said, now, how many of you mothers believe that that's a good idea, that you ought to have the right to be able to find a spouse for your children? Mothers, can I, can I see your hands? Grandmothers? Now, for those of you who are unmarried kids, how many of you believe that you don't want your mom's fingerprints on this at all? I asked it the other way in the first service and nobody raised their hand, so I figured we'd turn that around a little bit. Happy Mother's Day. There's so much that's going on today and I want to uh, talk for a few minutes this morning about a biblical passage of scripture that is associated with femininity. It's one that culminates with what is one of the most cross-stitched Bible verses in all of time that says, charm is deceitful and beauty is passing, but a woman who fears the Lord, she shall be praised. In fact, as you're turning into the book of Proverbs, you can begin to head to chapter 31, but as you're getting there, I would remind you that in Proverbs 12:4 it states that an excellent wife is the crown of her husband, but she who shames him is as rottenness in his bones. In other words, there's nothing better than an excellent wife and nothing worse than the opposite. In fact, we are told in Scripture that 
one of the worst kings of Israel ever, in Ahab, tells us that there was never anyone like him. He sold himself to do evil in the eyes of the Lord, and he was urged on by Jezebel, his wife. Now, in the original, what that would say is Ahab was wicked because he was incited by his wife, Jezebel. We know that Scripture tells us that the man is to be the head of the home, but we also know that the woman is both the crown and the neck. She will determine the direction that the face goes, and she will be a crown to the head of her family. In Proverbs chapter 31, I want to begin reading with verse 10 and read through verse 31. The Scripture declares, A wife of noble character who can find... She's worth far more than rubies. Her husband has full confidence in her. He lacks nothing of value. She brings him good, not harm, all the days of her life. She selects wool and flax and works with eager hands. She's like the merchant ships bringing her food from afar. She gets up while it's still dark, and she provides food for her family and portions for her servant girls. She considers the field and buys it out of the earnings. She plants a vineyard. She sets about her work vigorously. Her arms are strong for her task. She sees that her trading is profitable and her lamp does not go out at night. In her hand she holds a distaff and grasps the spindle with her fingers. She opens her arms to the poor, extends her hands to the needy. When it snows, she has no fear for her household, for all of them are clothed in scarlet. She makes covering for her bed. She's clothed with fine linen and purple. Her husband is respected at the city gate where he takes his seat among the elders of the land. She makes linen garments and sells them and supplies the merchants with sashes. She's clothed with strength and dignity. She can laugh at the days to come. She speaks with wisdom, and faithful instruction is on her tongue. She watches over the affairs of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness. Her children arise and call her blessed. Her husband also, and he praises her. Many women do noble things, but you surpass them all. Charm is deceptive and beauty is fleeting, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Give her the reward she has earned and let her works bring her praise in the city gate. Father, I pray that over these next few moments that you will begin to unlock some truths of this and that we will sit back and applaud women of valor within our congregation. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Through all of the years that I've been a pastor, I have never preached a Mother's Day message out of this passage. The reason being is that there are so many women that hold this up as a mirror and they feel worthless and and unworthwhile in comparison to what is just described. Many women have stated that it seems to be that Proverbs 31 is another impossible standard by which to mark my shortcomings as a woman. And so the passage comes with some baggage, as it were, to them. I believe that that's often because we focus of Proverbs 31 seems to be a way for other people to look at the role of a woman and reduces it to marriage and motherhood and domesticity when really this passage is about a character that transcends both gender and circumstance. In fact, today I would like to spend just a few minutes talking about three things about this passage that you may not have known that will put it in perspective for you. Three things that you might not have known about Proverbs 31. I believe that this has been one of the most misinterpreted 
and twisted passages of Scripture that we've ever seen in the Bible. But as we look at it through its historical context and the audience that it was directed to and the language, that there are three things that women in general will walk out of here feeling much better about as it relates to the Proverbs 31 woman. The first thing that I want you to notice about it this morning is that Proverbs 31 is a poem. It is a poem. Just to give you a little background, if you were to look at the very first verse of this chapter, you would notice that it says, The sayings of King Lemuel, an oracle or a speech his mother taught him. And so here we have a man that is going to become a king, and when he is yet a little boy, his mother writes for him a song or a poem that she wants him to memorize. And we really don't know much about King Lemuel except that he had a good Jewish mother and along with the lentil soup that she made and whatever else she provided for him, she gave him some really, really good advice. Because he was going to be royal and because he was going to take a position of rulership, she said, here's the things that you need to know. Most of all, what occupied most of her speech and in this poem is to tell her son, find a good wife find a good wife it will make a difference in your life she also understood the implications if he didn't and he found a bad one that his life would be filled with boisterous quarrelsome self-centered and and a wicked woman such as Jezebel and realizing the influence that she was bound to have upon his life Lemuel's mother says I am going to write something for you that I want you to memorize because it will come to you as you look at the women that may pass through your life, and I want you to find an excellent woman. Then what we find is the subject of a 22-line poem found in the last chapter of the book of Proverbs is about a woman of noble character. The author of this poem, Lemuel's mother, is essentially showing us what wisdom looks like in action. And the reader will immediately make a connection if you are a fan of the book of Proverbs at all, that earlier in the book of Proverbs, it talks about a a woman of wisdom, and you will begin to find some of those earlier verses wrapped up within this poem as you look at this Proverbs 31 woman. Here's the interesting thing about this, and this is why it loses something for us. This was a very important Jewish document, very important in its history. It's inspired by God, but it was inspired by God in a unique way that's not visible to us as Americans. And I'll tell you why. These 22 verses that we just read as the Proverbs 31 woman are really taken from the 22 characters of the Hebrew alphabet. In fact, each verse in Hebrew begins with the next character in the sequence of the alphabet so that it starts with elf and goes to bet and gimel and so forth right down the line to the last sequence of letters. The reason that it was written in this way is because it was going to be easier for boys to memorize so that they could quote it back to their mothers as they grew up. In fact, it often became a song, and so it was a formula for easy memorization that featured every Jewish boy so that he could sing it and provide for themselves the criteria of what a woman of valor might look like. And unfortunately, we don't have the benefit of this in English, and so it was great benefit to them in Hebrew. And so this poet praises the everyday achievement of an upper-class Jewish woman, 
one who keeps her household functioning day and night by buying and trading and investing and planting and sowing and spindling and managing servants and extending charity, providing food for the family and providing for each season. And like any good poem, the purpose of this one is to draw attention to the often overlooked glory of an everyday woman. So rather, ladies then feeling as if you could never measure up to a Proverbs 31 woman, I want you to understand today that this is to elevate you so that we who observe you can look at you and say, we recognize the everyday effort that you take in being who God has created you to be. This chapter should not be interpreted prescriptively as a job description for all women. Its purpose is to celebrate wisdom in action, not to instruct every woman to get married and have children and take up the loom. The good news is you don't have to measure yourself against a Proverbs 31 woman and feel inadequate. God is doing something different with this passage. Secondly, Proverbs 31 target, the audience of this is men. Rachel Held Evans, who authored the book A Year of Biblical Womanhood, speaks that God brought into her life a Jewish friend by the name of Ahava. And she says, Ahava began to open my mind to Old Testament culture through the mind of a Jewish woman that began to explain so many different things in Scripture. Ahava told her, it's not the women who memorize Proverbs 31, it's the men of our culture. They memorize it to sing it as a song of praise to the women in their lives, their wives, their daughters, sisters, mothers, and friends. In fact, Ahava said that every Sabbath meal, her husband sings this Proverbs 31 to her to elevate her and sing of her praise. And so as you read this poem, you recognize the only instructive language in the whole poem is directed at the male audience, and it's found in the last verse, verse 31, when it says, Give her the reward she has earned, and let her works give her praise. And yet many Christians interpret this passage prescriptively that commands women to do things rather than a song that is an ode to femininity and womanhood. There's an empire of books and conferences and self-help products and media that has evolved from a subtle repositioning of this poem's intended audience from that of men singing praises to the women in their life to that of women who need to measure themselves by this mirror of a passage of Scripture. In fact, as I was doing a little research, I came across a book called Becoming the Woman God Wants Me to Be, a 90-day guide to becoming a Proverbs 31 woman. I looked at some highlights of that, and I thought, this author has missed the point entirely. Number one, you don't do this in 90 days. Many times this chapter is presented in a way that makes women feel as if I will never measure up, and I want you to know something, women. In the culture in which we live, you need more voices to lift you up, not tear you down. And so I believe that the point has been missed many times. The third point of this, Proverbs 31, is that it celebrates women of valor. 
The first line of this proverb says, a wife of noble character, who can find? A virtuous woman, who can find? Is best translated, a woman of valor, who can find? The Hebrew word here that is within this that's been translated for us, noble character or virtuous, is the term ishet chayil, ishet chayil, which means woman of valor. The male equivalent would be gibor chayil or men of valor. To make this fact even more fun for Hebrew women, many Jewish women cheer on one another. When there is a blessing within their life, they would cheer each other with this term, Ishet Chayil, you are a woman of valor. If they're going through times where they're celebrating some sort of a promotion or a pregnancy or acts of mercy or justice or if they're standing alongside one another in battles with cancer, they would give each other a hearty, Ishet Chayil, they would look at it as if it was like a Jewish, you go girl. You see, valor isn't about what you do. It's about how you do it. If you were a stay-at-home mom who constantly feels like you don't measure up because you're not a career woman that can put it all together, I want you to know something. What you do, you do with valor. If you are a nurse, be a nurse with valor. If you're a CEO, if you're a barista at Starbucks, if you're rich or you're poor, if you're single or you're married, do it all with valor. That's what makes you a Proverbs 31 woman, not creating a life worthy of a Pinterest board. There was a blog that I read this week by a woman named Lauren. It didn't give her last name, but this is what she wrote about this chapter. For most of my adult life, if I had woken up one morning to read that the Proverbs 31 woman had met an untimely death on her spindle, I would have barely grieved. Because for a long time, the Proverbs 31 woman has been my mental nemesis. Scripture tells us that she cooks splendid exotic meals. She sews ornate clothes for her family from thread and fabric that she herself has spun. She runs a substantial textile business, and from the profits, she buys her own land, which she then gardens. She helps the poor. She's constantly productive, and even though she never sleeps, from her mouth pours nothing but wisdom and kindness. Both her husband and her children lavish praise on her. While she, bought, while she brought her family tremendous blessing, the Proverbs 31 woman has brought a significant amount of consternation to my soul. When I was single, and I was single well into my mid-30s, I would stack myself against her as if she were the measuring stick, and I found myself lacking. I wasn't married, so there's no husband to trust in me. I didn't have children, so I had no one to clothe in handmade scarlet garments, no one to rise up and call me blessed. So nearly every Mother's Day, when our pastor would base his sermon on Proverbs 31, I left church feeling like I'd been in a fight for my femininity and lost. I longed to be a wife and a mother so deeply, specifically a Proverbs 31 wife and mother, so I stopped going to church on Mother's Day. Now that I am married, I still evaluate myself against her, except now she's become my wifely competition. I sew, I garden, I cook, tacos count, right? 
even though having a husband and a child puts me in many of the same categories as the Proverbs 31 woman, her achievements still echo in my heart, implying that perhaps I'm still not good enough. After all, her record has stood for a thousand years. And although she's never a real person, she has the power to haunt me. So for all of you women and mothers who have used the scriptures to demean yourself, to look in the mirror and find out I do not measure up and I cannot get there, I want you to understand that you have misinterpreted this entirely. This scripture is to praise your valor and character. And I believe that this better reflects the intent. Therefore, it honors scripture well. The poetic figure that's found in Proverbs 31 is not the only woman in the Bible that has deserved the praise, Ishet Chayil, or woman of valor. There's another woman in the Bible that is described this way, and her name is Ruth. Ruth, in comparison to the woman that is going to be described as a queen or the wife of a ruler, falls on the opposite end of the spectrum. You see, Ruth was a destitute foreigner whose daily work involved gathering and threshing and winnowing wheat. And for most of her story, she's neither a wife nor a mother. Circumstantially, her life looked nothing like the life of the Psalm 31 woman. Because Ruth didn't spend her days making clothes for her husband. She had no husband. She was widowed. Ruth's children didn't rise up and call her blessed because she was childless. Ruth didn't spend her days exchanging fine linen with the merchants and keep an immaculate home. She worked all day in the sun, gleaning leftovers from other people's fields after they had harvested, which was the provision that was made available to the poorest of the poor in Israel. And yet, Boaz, when he meets her, and before he marries her, and before she has a child, and before she becomes influential, and before she becomes wealthy, says this in Ruth 3.11 about her. All of my fellow townsmen, in other words, this is a woman who the entire town that sees her recognizes. All of my fellow townsmen know that you are a woman of noble character. The Hebrew term used to describe noble character is ishet chayil. You are a woman of valor. Ruth is described as a woman of valor not because she checks off a lot of the boxes of the Proverbs 31 woman, not because she got married, not because she had a perfectly clean house, not because she could produce children, not because everything went her way in life, not because her children were so incredible that everybody looked at her and said, you must be the mother of the year. It was quite the opposite. In spite of very difficult circumstances that were out of her control, she lived her life with incredible bravery and wisdom and strength. She lived her life with valor. So when you're looking to Scripture to find examples of strong, capable women, understand it is not your role that defines you. Let me repeat that to you. Women, it is not your role that defines you, but the integrity and bravery that you bring to the roles you find yourself in that makes you a woman of valor.
If you were to look through Scripture, you would find that there are many women that we could assign the title of women of valor to. You can see it in Sarah and Deborah and Esther, Mary Magdalene, Mary of Bethany, Mary of Nazareth, Martha, Junia, Priscilla, Phoebe, Tabitha. Any one of these women that Scripture highlights would be to us considered women of valor. And men, you can turn and look around this sanctuary this morning, and I want you to know that we are surrounded by women of valor in this church who bring their unique gifts and insights and passions and callings, and they live their life by bringing hope and healing to the world. And that today is what is really meant when we honor the Proverbs 31 woman. The kind of woman she describes is a model of character and devotion and generosity and influence and excellence in her pursuit of God. I'm going to ask every woman and girl in this sanctuary if you'd please stand. I'm going to ask our keyboardist if they would come. And now that you're standing, I want all of you to come to the front. It doesn't matter whether you're a mother or not. I want every woman in the place, if you're comfortable doing so, to come to the front because I'm going to pray for you. Cindy and I have a daughter named Kara, our firstborn. Her husband has a number of people under his command in the Air Force, and as a result of his rank, she gives care to many, many military wives. A few months ago, she wrote a letter of encouragement to them because so many of them were mothers of small children, and I want to read to you what my daughter wrote to those under their command. It's called The Mothers of Many People. Not many, M-A-N-Y, but M-I-N-I, many people. You are beautiful. You're beautiful with stains on your shirts, smeared mascara, and yoga pants. You're beautiful even though you didn't wear your yoga pants to work out. You've been on your feet for 12 hours, and that's a pretty great workout in itself, not to mention all the times you've sprinted to divert your kids from danger and disasters. Plus, your kids probably help you practice the fine art of portion control by snatching food from your hands and your plate or feeding constantly from your breasts. Don't feel guilty for not working out. You, yes, you, you're beautiful. Be confident that your body is stunning and strong, even the parts that are squishy and saggy and stretched. You're gorgeous. They carried life and assisted God with a miracle. Smile at your battle scars, warrior woman. Don't Photoshop them away. Be defined by them. Some are longing for them. You, you are beautiful. You who birthed a child from your heart instead of your body, welcome to the ranks of motherhood. You surely have stretch marks on your heart from the courage to embrace another's genetic material wholeheartedly and adopt another fully to expand your family name and heritage without hesitation. Some parents have nine months to prepare for parenting, but for some of you it happened on a moment's notice. You answered the call to love and accept a precious life born from another mother 
and chose to be courageous, you're enough, absolutely enough. Whether you have nourished a baby from a bottle or your breast, do not feel guilty. Great work. You are keeping a totally helpless little thing alive through your diligence and dedication. You did great, epidural or not, C-section or otherwise. Do not have remorse if your birth story has little in common with your birth plan. You were strong and courageous. You have superpowers, and they include going with the flow when life throws you a curveball. Your parenting style is perfect, perfectly scheduled and perfectly chaotic. It's perfectly you. You are doing your best. You make judgments calls constantly. Parenting is not a black and white endeavor. We live in a world of gray matter. Everybody has parenting theories, books, and bags of tricks that have worked for their families, but you're different, and so are your kids, each one of them. Don't beat yourself up for the pile of unread parenting books on your nightstand. Good for you. Parents of little ones are so busy parenting, they don't have time to read or sleep or eat or use the restroom alone. Sleep does a body good, so when the choice to read a parenting book or Google another theory comes along or to take a nap, I suggest the nap. Rest your weary soul, your burning eyes and your aching muscles. Rest your mind that questions and second guesses. You are doing great. You were appointed to these many people. They were given to you specifically. Guard their hearts. Do your best to guard their minds and bodies too. But toxins and toxic people are everywhere. Teach them to think for themselves and choose well. Teach them to survive and speak up. Teach them their feelings are valid and should be named and expressed. Teach them that love is a verb. Teach them that grace is a verb also. You will make mistakes. You will feel inadequate. You will not dwell in a place of insecurity or do not dwell in a place of insecurity and inadequacy. Do not compare yourself to other mothers or their children to yours. It's a waste of time and honey, you don't have time to waste. Be unique. Be confident, accept your calling. Most importantly, accept grace for yourself and let it flow through you to them. You're more than enough for this challenge, you're plenty. But when you doubt it, ask for help. It takes more strength to ask for help and to accept it than to struggle and do everything on your own. Carry on, literally, I mean carry on because there are days you feel like a pack mule schlepping babies and bags and toddlers, activities all over the county. You will always remember these times, and I pray the endless wiping of bottoms, noses, sticky hands, counters, floors, and tears will be etched into your heart. Never forget this season, because someday you will be able to help an exhausted, struggling, questioning mother of many people too. I pray that your expectations will be managed, and seasoned moms will mentor you. After all, Moms of all age need support and solidarity instead of criticism and competition. I'm thankful for the women in my life, especially my mom who taught me these lessons. You are gracious. You are beautiful. You are wise with womanly instinct. And I love being on your team. Love and admiration, Kara. To all of you women, I declare, Ishet Chayil. You are women of valor. Would you stand with me, please, as we pray for these women? Father, 
Thank you for the grace that you have bestowed upon these magnificent women of valor. I pray that whenever they look at Proverbs 31 again, that rather than holding it as a mirror, that they just cannot seem to achieve the look, that they will instead see it in the way that it was intended to be portrayed, that we, the men within their lives, would begin to yell out to them, you are women of valor, and we see this valor in the everyday way you live your lives and you care for those around you. And Lord, there are those today who are mothers, and I pray today that you would bless them. There are those that want to be mothers and wives. I pray that you would bless them. There are little girls here. I pray that you would protect their minds so that they don't fall into an image that they have to reach to be acceptable in our world. May we as a church declare to them, you are beautiful just the way God made you. You are a woman of valor. And as you fulfill what God created you to be and to do, God will receive the glory and your name will be honored by those around you. Bless them on this Mother's Day, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Now women, here's what I want you to do. I want you to march right out of these doors and go back to the chocolate fountain that we have in the back. And the men will wait outside until you are done. We want you to celebrate a little bit today with one another. And don't be afraid to declare to each other, you are a woman of valor. God bless you.